I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. Part of what we did in this book was not just surface the data that says this is the missed opportunity. We also looked at why it is that you, you get this better risk mitigation and stronger financial performance when women are involved in decision-making rooms. That's Patience Marie May Ball, founder and CEO of Women of the World Endowment, a global endowment focused on gender lens investing. Her book, The XX Edge, Unlocking Higher Returns and Lower Risk, is being released this week. She spoke with Impact Alpha's contributing editor, Monique Aiken. Let's jump right into their conversation. So it's a bit surreal to imagine the crystal ball you had to have written the XX Edge well before many of the unimaginable things happening in the world right now with respect to women here in the U.S. and around the world. So what's your take on what's happening now and how does the XX Edge point to a path to addressing it all? Monique, it's wonderful to be in conversation with you again. You're one of my favorite people to, to be talking to. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for, for setting up you know, our, our first question that way, because it's important for us to sit in and acknowledge the great disruption and dislocation that is happening around us. Um, our news is dominated by wake-up calls around climate, around food security, uh, inflation, conflict in regions uh, in Europe, but all, all over the world, really. Um, there is data that was quoted recently by um, someone we had in conversation that said, if we continue on the same track, 50% of the world's population will be living in conflict zones by 2030 or something um, like that. And 80% by 2035, if we continue along the same lines. Uh, we have health challenges. We have uh, violence, uh, you know, against, you know, individuals. We have, um, you know, mass shootings in this country. Um, the Supreme Court is is doing its part in in gutting um, the rights for women to just simply make decisions uh, over, you know, their sacred bodies, and so. Much is coming at us. Um, we wrote this book partly because it, it, we wrote it in 2021. And that was a period of incredible disruption, as you know. I mean, climate and the healthcare pandemic and uh, Mr. Uh, Floyd's passing as well. Uh, so there was a lot going on. It was pre the Russian um, invasion of Ukraine and so on. But there certainly was enough going on. And part of why we wrote this book was really to demonstrate with extensive data and case stories that the world can deal with these accelerating challenges in a new way, a new paradigm of investing and allowing or enabling leadership by more women in places of decision-making across you know, capital markets, across you know, all of the key challenges that we all face today, um, in innovation, in inclusive and environmental and social strategies, and ultimately the fact that you can actually realize not just better risk mitigation across all of these challenges, but outperformance. Uh, and for individual investors, better returns on their portfolios, and for economies, better economic growth. Um, there is, we almost called the XX Edge the book. Uh, we almost called it um, Mopai uh, because 
um, you know, to more GDP pie because we know that when women are involved in decision making, uh, there's generally better health, there's generally uh, better wealth. Uh, and we even have data that says that, um, and it, this is from the McKinsey study done, I think, in 2014, where they did a calculation that between the years 2015 and 2025, if 95 countries within their study would just try to reach gender equity uh, in their economies, would generate $28 trillion of additional GDP, global GDP. And that's a missed opportunity, right? They, even conservative numbers that they calculated indicated that even if they didn't reach gender equity, if they just, if those 95 countries each got as good as the next country above uh, would, would add $12 trillion to global GDP. And so um, we have an opportunity that uh, we are choosing, and this is the, the difficult thing, we're choosing not to take advantage of. I always say that we can have more of the same if we, the royal we, do nothing differently from what we've done in the past, or we can take what's behind door number two. It's literally that simple. We can make another choice, a choice to center women, center indigenous thinking, center people of color as deciders, as agents of change, as fully human participants in global and financial systems. Your book has some jarring stats about the current state of affairs of the financial markets. And we know that the numbers don't reflect what would be a normal populated weighted distribution in those numbers. Since talent is evenly distributed, something is up, right? And, and in the book, you suggest that we would all benefit from women being in seats of decision, power, and influence in all areas of the economy. You already mentioned some stats about GDP, growth, and possibility. Um, then there's also government, health sector, education, but also, and in particular, the financial system. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. Um, so um, what you described and you named all the, the different forms of diversity that the world has at, at its disposal to leverage for more inclusive growth, for more pie, as, as we, we, we name in the book, uh, whether it's women, cis women and 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 anyone who identifies as 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 a woman uh whether it's, it's indigenous populations whether it's you know a majority of the world's population that lives in the global south you know you, you name it right that there is an opportunity for the full potential paradigm but what we have today uh and it's sad to say is that you know, of their, you know, at any given time, the numbers are different. But right now, $110 trillion of assets under management globally. Well, 97.8% of that is allocated and managed by men and largely white men. And of the Fortune 500 companies, these are companies that are um, informing uh, all kinds of decisions about how the world deals with climate challenges, social justice challenges, you name the challenges, only 41 of them are led by women. Uh, in private equity, we only have 14% of women fund managers. And as you, I mean, the data is, is out there, as you know, less than 3% of venture capital is directed towards enterprises um, founded or run by women. 
So the, the data is jarring. The opportunity on the other end is actually quite impressive and, and leads to the question that why aren't we taking advantage of this opportunity that lies in front of us? As you said, talent is even an evenly distributed opportunity is not. Um, so we know that gender inclusive teams are 21% more likely to generate outperformance in profitability relative to uh, nine diverse teams. We also know that new companies that are founded with at least one founding member who's female will perform 63% better than those that are all male teams. And this was a data that a data set that was generated over and observed over a 10-year period. Um, when it comes to financial entities that care about their bottom lines, we know that women, when extended access to credit, are better repairs. Those portfolios have lower NPLs. And this is data that we also know. And then if you go all the way to high finance, the world of hedge funds, uh, we know that even in those spaces where women are, are not really well represented, where you have women run hedge funds, they have outperformed average the average of larger hedge funds by a margin of 6% over a six-year period. That's 6%. Um, that's a lot of missed opportunity when women are not involved in decision-making rooms. But part of what we did in this book was not just surface the data that says this is the missed opportunity. We also looked at why it is that you, you get this better risk mitigation and stronger financial performance when women are involved in decision-making rooms. And we isolated three traits that when we, when we start talking about them, people sort of nod their heads because it is um, relatively clear to people. So, you know, nothing is absolute. This is obviously on a, on a, you know, on a bell curve. But based on that, we did some research that indicated that women tend to have these traits. Um, they tend to have low ego. And so their leadership styles are more collaborative and more diffused. And as the world and enable diffused leadership, and as the world moves to decentralization of operations, and at this point, post the pandemic, you know, um, folks, virtual workspaces, diffused leadership styles uh, are critical. And as challenges accelerate and, you know, accelerate ac across the globe, you need leadership that knows how to collaborate across geographies and across innovations. And women, um, that low ego tends to, to allow for that. The second thing is women tend to be more risk aware. It's traditionally been called risk averse. Uh, our view is they're risk aware and risk awareness leads to better due diligence, prioritization of investments, uh, of allocating investments differently, building differentiated portfolios, uh, looking for those opportunities that are not uh, in the mainstream. And that also can generate upside. Similarly, the third trait that we looked at was that we, we noticed in our research was women take the long view. They tend to prioritize the long view over short-term gains. And that too uh, can um, have real, real impact. But coming back to your identification of the different, of the diverse communities that are not included, 
um, and why it matters. So context, women tend to be closer to the challenges. Uh, traditionally, we say that um, women, are, when, when challenges happen, women are the victims, uh, are the majority of the victims. We think that actually the world needs to look at that as they're proximate to the challenges, thereby they're best, best positioned to actually be key drivers of solutions and innovations and strategies to addressing those challenges. And finally, well, that data point that I that I um, that I just uh, indicated, we have 500 Fortune 500 companies, and only 41 of them are led by women. Um, so they, there's underutilization of female talent. So that's part of the context. And even though this book focuses on cis women, it's partly because that's the space where we have the most data. What we say in this book, most of the uh, the strategies that we we talk about and the outcomes that we describe are actually outcomes that would come about with greater diversity, whether it's racial diversity, geographic diversity, et cetera. There is just more opportunity uh, in, in embracing diversity in, in decision-making rooms. It's so important, all these points that you just made, and, and essentially what we're talking through is how do we visibilize for decision-makers who are currently in the seats of power? This um, opposite side of a challenge in the current state of affairs is the opportunity. A and it's kind of a odd to me that it's 2022 and we're still talking about the need for and the benefits of creating gender inclusive spaces and securing rights that our foremothers marched for decades ago. Women are half the sky, yet we struggle under the weight of these multiple oppressions, the violence that you just named, women of color essentially more so, um, Black women more so, Indigenous women historically, particularly in the United States, but around the world trans women, disabled women, neurodiverse women, migrant women, um, you know, certainly still remain in very vulnerable positions. The, these systemic and structural barriers to their full economic and democratic participation persist. So we need a path to getting this right. Do you see a path to getting this right? Um, what are the risks of inaction uh, to those who are trying to visibilize all of these things too, and if they remain incapable of seeing? Well, the risk of in inaction is is the fact that as these crises accelerate, we are not taking advantage of the toolbox, of the entire toolbox that humanity has to beat back these challenges, right? We have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to face the next challenge, not with massive uh, fiscal packages, stimulus packages, like we just went through. We have the opportunity to face some of these challenges with innovations in healthcare. If, if uh, Dr. Kariko had received funding when she wanted funding uh, over, the over the 20 years while she was de developing mRNA, we might have had the vaccine uh, ready in 2020 when, you know, um, when we started experiencing you know, COVID-19. would not have had two years of trying to figure out how to deal with it, uh, would have moved fairly quickly to the stage where we are now, where it, it, it is going to likely stay with us. But a period, the period of not just uh, financial loss, but emotional loss, um, the loss of lives uh, would not have been as extreme. And it's, it's just as simple as being more inclusive uh, 
in your teams. It's, it literally is that simple. And what is astonishing about the fact that we're not wanting, even post this crisis, that we might actually not have the same level of, um, uh, of urgency to the idea of inclusion. So we, in this book, in the, the XX Edge, we articulate towards the end of the book, we have uh, these what-if scenarios where we state where we are today, whether it's in the care economy, the healthcare sector with the reproductive rights, our climate change. We, we say, you know, this is where we are. But what if? What if we had these moonshot level ambitions what would that look like? And then in the last part of the book, we then provide specific steps that uh, entities and individuals, investors can take. And so to your point, um, let's take financial markets specifically. How do you create more space for decision-making? How do you have more women in decision-making, in real decision-making seats where they're allocating capital? Because you will end up with differentiated portfolios that are delivering higher returns and likely stronger uh, positive impact. Well, intentionally hire more women, intentionally mentor and sponsor them so that they are going and intentionally promote them so that they are being promoted in, into those seats of real decision-making. Um, all of it requires intentionality. And commitment to doing things differently and in some organizations that includes that is you know setting up uh, mentorship programs allyship programs sponsorship programs making it possible in a non-threatening way and and this is really important as i said we almost named this book more pie because we are this is not a remove and replace strategy it is let's have more seats and those seats, when women take those seats, will actually create the opportunity for even bigger outcomes for all of us. And so there is, it's not a remove and replace strategy. It is an inclusive strategy. And so there's nothing threatening about what we're proposing in this book. And it is, um, it's sad when, you know, in our politics, we have the idea of replacement because you know that that assumes that the pie is fixed and it is not the pie is not fixed we can we can employ a full potential paradigm grow the pie and all of humanity can be healthier and wealthier that resonates so deeply with me because i think you know we have a window to get this right you know certainly there's turning points looming on the climate side and others that and once passed, we can't come back, but we have a shot to your point about moonshots. Like we, we can take them now. And so given that what's ahead for the women of the world endowment and you, Ruth, in the days and weeks to come, and what are some of the moonshots that you all are going to take? So for women of the world endowment, we are growing. The team is growing there. Um, the investments we're making are incredible investments and maybe uh, the next time we talk, we can actually go through some of those investments that we're making, including in healthcare, in climate, uh, backing and fueling women change makers every single day. We wake up every single day with that mission. It is not a 95 and 5% mission for the endowment. It is a 100% alignment of, the, of that mission. Um, we are 
you know, building our presence ex-US through our grant investing, but also our, our, our for-profit investing, our building um, our strategic capital that we're now beginning to think about an advisory sleeve to women of the world endowment who've been doing this um, with with different organizations on Wall Street and, and beyond. And now we're going to formalize that. Um, and, uh, and as far as the book is concerned, uh, someone asked Ruth and I whether we wanted to for this book to be a New York Times bestseller. Uh, that would be nice. But more importantly, our uh, joint objective is to have this book actually inform systems change, um, where we will have gender diversity leading to differentiated outcomes, more inclusive outcomes, more money for everyone, and a growth in the pie. So we actually um, are in the process of designing a campaign around the book. And you know the campaign is to really um, take this message into decision-making rooms today. And uh, we, we're hoping that at the end of uh, the day, um, the XX Edge will have a seat in every decision-making room, right? The XX Edge, the ability for women to inform decisions and give us all, you know, the world that we all want to see, that there'll be a seat in every innovation lab and, well, I guess standing room in innovation labs and a seat in every decision-making room for the XXH. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about patients, women of the world endowment, and many other agents of impact at impactalpha.com. Thanks to Monique and to patients and to our producer, Isaac Silk, and the whole team at Impact Alpha, investment news for a sustainable edge.